How does an organization transform from being five friends who just want to hang out in a safe space to pursue their hobby, hula hooping, to one that has welcomed over 5,000 students into the community to experience the power of flow arts? And just how does it do it based on almost an exclusively volunteer basis? That's the story of what Spin Coalition, started in Philadelphia in the U.S., has been able to do in just a matter of a few years. In today's episode, I chat with Becca Johnson, the executive director of Spin Coalition, about her role in building this incredible community and how a combination of saying yes and, having humility, and seeing new perspectives has helped her be a butt mover, both figuratively and quite literally. Join me for today's episode of Butt Movers. So I'm really excited to be joined uh, today by Becca Johnson, who was introduced to me through my sister because of her fabulous work with the Philadelphia Spin Coalition. And it is a organization that's volunteer-based and really seeking to connect um, people interested in spreading movement arts and celebrating movement in spectacular ways in Philadelphia. So welcome, Becca. And can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and perhaps about Spin Coalition? Sure. Um, So my name is Becca. Spin Coalition started in 2011. When it had first started, it was just simply a group of five girls that wanted a safe and um, welcoming space to practice hula hooping. And back then, you know, Instagram wasn't really a huge thing and there weren't a lot of videos. So a lot of the learning happened face to face. Um, So the need for a space, a safe space where people could go and hang out was really key. And when I started, we were sort of growing out of that space and we were getting more demand for more types of circus props and more people wanting to come. So we eventually left that space and started expanding. And we do what we, we, we started in 2013 doing what we do now, which is hosting workshops in all different types of spaces all around Philadelphia. And we've expanded to New Jersey and Delaware. And more recently in the last four, three to four years, I'd say we've expanded our community engagement. So beyond just teaching workshops to people who've who are interested in um, flow arts and props and circus arts. We now do direct outreach to communities, specifically um, disadvantaged communities, poor communities of Philadelphia. And we will bring what we call our stack of stack O hoops and our huge box of circus props and sort of demonstrate, but more importantly, encourage people not just to sit back and watch, but to come and try out um, props. And that's a whole different branch of our organization that's new. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, you know, if you were to sort of think about from the balcony view, like what is the the change that Spinco is trying to create in the world or what do you hope this organization um, is trying to advance? How how would you sort of sum that up? Well, I think that we live in a day and age that um, being active and using your hands in a creative way is a little bit harder to get at. Um, mm-hmm. when you think about children in schools and how, you know, when we were, when you and I were kids, we had ample time outside and less time on screens. And now there's more time on screens and less time outside. So our ultimate goal is to just get people out of the couch, off of YouTube, off of staring at a screen of someone doing something cool and be the person that's doing that cool thing. So that's that's what we're aiming for is um, to just create 
really safe environment for people to learn and grow in. Um, I think that there's a lot of fear these days, especially of going out and doing something alone, um, just because we're, we're always surrounded by people, when, whether it's in social media or we go out with groups of friends. So it's, um, I think it's important to, to really trust in an organization to provide a space where you could grow as an individual and not have to depend on others to um, be there um, at the start of it and then end with, you know, new friends and a new community. Yeah. You've tapped into some, I think, you know, really important needs that we have these days, right? So one, there's like the physical engagement and engagement with your body and, and that whole piece, which is often neglected in our very busy sort of digital worlds. And then there's another piece there about safety, like both, you know, physical safety, but also the psychological safety to go out and do something quite different and to be able to grow individually in a different way. And so I'm wondering, you know, maybe can you tell us a little bit more about specifically what you do um, within SpinCo and sort of your role and what you see are the things that you are really leading um, and helping to push the organization forward with? Right. So when I first joined in 2013, I think we had like $40 in our PayPal account. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my first goal was to um, take control of the finances and expand finances so that we could expand as an organization. Um, and I've been able to do that. And And bless her, we found an actual CPA accountant to be on our board. And now she handles the finances. So I feel very comfortable um, passing the torch in that sense. So in the past two years, I've been able to focus really deeply in creating partnerships with other nonprofits, other um, city organizations such as Philadelphia Parks and Rec, um, some of the local police districts, and um, nonprofits that work with different types of communities, you know, children, family focused nonprofits. And I find that really interesting because I feel my, my sense, and please tell me if I'm wrong, is that. You know, it started as something quite organic, right? Like a small group of people and like, you know, creating these safe spaces. And it sounds like from, from as soon as you joined in 2013, what you've brought is some like structural and organizational financial at first, but then also just other strategic and structural skills to help the organization be able to have greater reach, right? Because without financial sustainability, without really being able to focus on creating good partnerships, you can't really grow. So it sounds like that's, that's some of the, the skills that you've brought that has enabled Spinco to, to develop. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> I'm the type of person that I'm totally comfortable being in my own bubble and not never really saw myself as a leader, always was a team member kind of person. Um, but in 2012, the owner of the space that we were in uh, sold it to make this te- essentially tear down the whole space. It was a Mountain Dew factory, so it was a really nice big space. Right. And it had some really interesting, like, tanks where they would brew the soda that we could, like, hang out in. We call them think tanks where we would, like, come <laughs> up Mountain Dew think tanks, uh, excellent, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and the owner uh, sold the space, so we were kicked out. Um, so we were sort of forced to mm. develop this very, like, nimble and agile strategy. So let's just go out there and see, you know, not every yoga studio is having yoga classes at every hour of every day. Like, maybe we can go there. Maybe we go to the gym. Um, and like I said, I, I never really saw myself as a leader, but being a part of this organization has sort of forced me 
to use the skills that I that I just use personally and kind of use those to sort of help and grow the organization. I mean, it used to be just me and one other girl, the founder of the organization, and we were doing great things, but we really couldn't expand in the way that we wanted to because, you know, there's just so many hours in the day and we both have actual, you know, jobs that are paying. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we started um, taking in volunteers. It started with just simply needing help with promoting. So that's how it started. And then as people came on, some people, that's that's what they did. And they would come and take pictures at events. And that was great. And we still have people that do that. And then we've had people that come in and really like, they really take a hold of the mission. And they really like, you can just, you can tell a few months in when someone is super engaged with something. So yeah, they've been really important. And now some of these volunteers, I, I don't even know what I would do without the things that they brought in. Yeah. So I, I wonder if I can explore that a little bit further with you because, you know, you'd mentioned earlier that, you know, when you first joined the organization, you had $40 in PayPal and now you have a CPA accountant and you can sort of, you know, that set. So as, you know, somebody who has been there from the, the start and who um, has seen this organization evolve, I'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit about how you have helped to build that kind of culture within or- mm-hmm. an organization that attracts volunteers and attracts people to give so much of their time and of their skills to this organization. Um, Because I think oftentimes that's, as leaders, that can be the most daunting task, right? Like, how do you really get people engaged? How do you get the right people doing the right things? So I'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit about that and your experience with building an organization that has such a strong um, culture of volunteerism and contribution. Yeah, I think it involves just a lot of um, humility on the leadership end of things and knowing that you can't, you can't do everything and you probably can't do everything right either. Mm-hmm. One of my weaknesses as a person is that I'm not as big of a risk taker as I would like to be. So I really appreciate the creative mindset of new people when they come in and they're like, I have this awesome new idea. I think it's just having this sort of open mindset and saying, you know, I used to take improv classes a lot and the number one rule in improv is to always say yes mm-hmm. and, and, and mm-hmm. build on that. Yes. So I try to say yes to people as much as possible. I've definitely been learning to, to set aside my own judgments of people because people have come in and I think one way about them when I first meet them and then, they turn around to be someone completely different. You can never really choose who you work with, um, but it's always interesting to see how you work with people who are brought into your sphere. You know, I love what you just said there about the, the improv thing, right? That, you know, the the yes and, and seeing what new realities and possibilities arise from that. So I'm just wondering if you maybe have an example you can think of or um, a story of a time when maybe somebody brought up something that was just completely unexpected or maybe something completely out of the sphere of what you'd considered. And because of the yes and, something awesome came out of it. Do you have any stories that you could share about that? So a while ago, we had a workshop where the instructor couldn't make it. And so he decided to do a Skype workshop. But one of the people who came there was this um, girl. Uh, Her name was Kai. And after the workshop, she was like, let me get something out of my car. And she pulls out these, like, they look like bird cages. Um, She had made them. They were like these two 
like PVC type um, frames and then she connected the two frames with neon string. So when you held them up, they kind of looked like bird cages, but right. they were big enough that a person could stand in them. And then she like completely had this huge idea. She was like, I want to build a giant pyramid that is made out of PVC and it's got these strings in it and they're UV reactive and you can have black lights on the string. So at night it kind of looks like, you know, you can't tell if those are strings or lasers. And she's like, I have this big disco ball I want to put in the pyramid and people can stand in it and spin UV props and it'll look really cool. And she's like, this is what I want to do. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, we can try it out. And she made a couple, um, she made a couple smaller versions that she took around and just tested, you know, how would people react to them at parties? You know, is a drunk person going to completely destroy it within five minutes? Right. She took it and then took it back and redesigned it. And it was the most amount of money I've spent on a project. And I'll be honest, at the onset of it, I was like, this is just going to be, this is going to go in the hole. So we invested a lot of the money into that. Um, and we brought it to festivals and it was great. Like it held up. Um, it was this amazing thing. It was awesome to just see people walk by it and then not realize they could interact with a piece of art until they read the sign and said, oh, like I could go inside there. Um, we eventually were able to sell it as sort of an event thing. Set aside the point that we actually made some money from this art project, but also like we created a whole team around it and people felt really like there's something about when people are getting down and building something together that it really brings it together. Um, and it was just out of that one moment where I looked at it and I was like, yeah, I'll give a stranger that says they want to help us some money to, <laughs> to work on this thing. And in a lot of senses that could have been a really bad idea because it really had nothing to do with our mission at the start of it and in my mind I was like it's just building an art piece but I didn't realize um until I saw it in action that art you know you always say like art builds community like art's important but until you build it and you really see like oh people wouldn't have come and wouldn't have been interacting in this way without this art piece there that really brings home the fact that like no this was this at the end of the day this art piece was a part of our mission. It was um, building community. It was just doing it in a different way. And, mm. and that was totally, really, really cool to see. And I'm really excited to do something else like that and have someone else take the lead because I still can't hammer and nail very well. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, but I think that's great, right? Because there's a really important, I think, message in there that it's, it's when you take that leap of faith and it obviously was a successful sort of project um, and has continued to further, like help you guys further your mission in a way that you hadn't expected before. So that mm -hmm. sort of relinquishing of control and that um, ability to sort of spot like, okay, let's give this a go and see where, what, what might happen. There's a certain amount of like courage and bravery to that. And in this case, it's, you know, paid off as it were. Um, yeah. You know, you've talked a lot about like how the organization has, had to be agile, right? Like out of that very first, when you were kicked out of the Mountain Dew uh, factory, right? You had to adapt, you had to be agile, you had to be solution oriented. And I imagine in the course of the, the five years that you've been working on this, you run into different 
obstacles and barriers. Um, so, you know, one example was you were kicked out of the very first space you were in and then you were able to navigate that. So I'm just wondering if you've got, if you want to talk about that specific story, if you've got other examples of, you know, along the way, along the way of this journey, some of the obstacles that you've come up against and how you've navigated them. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest obstacles that we face is the community itself. Mm. Um, when you, when you're in such a niche community, there's always people that are like, this is how things are. And we don't want new people in because they're going to ruin what traditional circus is and all of this stuff. And we sort of came in, in a very, um, I think people really saw us as sort of this like corporate entity at first because we were so into the marketing and promotion, bringing it to the streets and telling everyone about this. Um, so I think there was a lot of resentment from within our own community, um, seeing us sort of bringing in all these new people. And it was really hard because we were trying to be advocates for the community, but um, we had really prominent, I would say prominent members um, that they didn't want anything to do with us. Mm. And it was a hard, there, it took us a few years to sort of change that mindset. Mm -hmm. um, and how we did it was we reached out rather than trying to find the people who had the biggest Instagram following or like the most viral videos to come and teach workshops. We reached out to those mid-level people, the people in our own community that were trying to make a name for themselves and just needed a little bit of a boost and maybe didn't know how to market themselves that well mm -hmm. and really building their trust and building their sense of community. And I think that's been key to helping us um, change our change how we look to people in the flow, flow arts community, the artist community. And we also, um, that's when we started bringing in more volunteers because mm -hmm. there was a lot of misconceptions about our, our organization at the start. Um, our founder is a salesperson. Her day-to-day -day is sales. And so to some people, she sort of came off as salesy. And I think the organization came off as salesy when in fact that wasn't we had forty dollars in our PayPal. We weren't gonna. We weren't this like big, big corporation that was gonna put our logo on everything. Um, but I think there was that sort of fear that we were going. We were trying to um, put a commodity on Flow Arts in that way. So um, I think bringing on volunteers from within the community itself um, was helpful because they they are our voices. We don't have to rely on a branding voice. Um, you know, they, they kind of help bring home the message and, um, and that was really key. Now that we've kind of set ourselves as the sort of like springboard in the community, we're trying to see how, how can we serve those more advanced flow artists in a way that helps them build their own community, even if that means their community doesn't involve these newer people just yet. There's so much richness in what you just described because, you know, you sort of said like you imagine this is true of any sort of hobbyist group. This, sometimes the there's always a group of people that like the status quo that, you know, have benefited from the way things have been. But I, I think that's true of any organization, right? And it, does, it, it doesn't need to be a niche community. It's just like any organization. You're going to have people who are sort of the traditionalists. You're, you know, expanding the community or expanding the way that we do things in a way that I'm not comfortable with. So it's really interesting to hear how you 
because that can be a barrier that sometimes stops people, right? Of like, okay, well, so we can't change things. This is how things are done. These are the people who are important in this community or in this organization and they're untouchable. And so it's interesting to hear how you've na you navigated that and to be able to say, you know what, that's okay. That's, that's what that is, but this is what we're trying to do. This is a change that we're trying to create um, and to be authentic to your mission and then find other ways to, to achieve that is really interesting. Yeah, I think authenticity and just being mission driven is really important because you're always going to have people that say, oh, you should do this or you shouldn't do that or um, are you sure you want to do that? And without knowing fully what you want as an organization, it's really easy to just sort of let yourself be tossed around by mm -hmm. different people's ideas. I mean, I say that I say yes to everything, but I say that knowing what my world looks like. Um, because if I said, you know, we had a moment where this was when, you know, fire spinning was becoming really popular and people were like, when are you going to have a class and teach this? And so four years ago, it was a mistake on my end. I was like, sure, we'll have a class. We'll teach you how to perform with fire. And it was like, we made so much money off of it because it's such a flashy thing for people to do and learn. But now knowing my mission and my mission is to create a safe environment um, for people and to sort of build community like that, that wasn't, that wasn't the right step for me to take. Um, you know, there's all these safety hazards, you know, God forbid if someone got hurt. Um, we got a lot of backlash from people that, um, that are advanced professional fire spinners that said, you shouldn't have done that. You mm. should have, you know, people don't learn fire performance. They learn safety and then they can branch out into fire performing in a very one-on-one -on -one sort of, um, you know, teacher student thing. You can't just do a workshop where you teach 20 people how to spin fire. Mm. And like, that doesn't work that way. And so I learned a lot through that year because we did a lot with fire that year and we, no pun intended, burned bridges with people <laughs> in the community where they were like, that's not how you were supposed to do that. So we completely step back on that. That was something where the um, ingrained community was really not happy that we were doing. And we saw, we saw their perspective and we said, you know, you haven't agreed with things we've done in the past, but this is something we're willing to say, yes, we messed up. We mm. took on, we, we bit off way more than we can chew. We're now teaching people who just saw hula hooping on Instagram to light their hula hoop on fire. And that's not the natural process of things. Yeah. So now what we do is we bring in certified instructors to simply teach fire safety. Um, so that, that was a really big, a huge learning curve for us. Yeah. Um, and a, an instance where I said yes to something where I should have been a little bit more um, cautious about you know, the ramifications for the larger community. As an organization, we can say, okay, yeah, the, there are these people that are, you know, they want the status quo and whatever, but we also have to recognize that our impact is so big now that if we make a mistake or if we do something, it will reflect on the whole community. Mm -hmm. It's like with great power comes like great responsibility and you should listen to people that are your critics because um, they can, a lot of the times it's white noise, but sometimes what they say is like, you really need to pay attention to yes. what they say. <laughs> and I think that's super interesting, right? Because you had talked, you know, early in our conversation about your sort of leadership approach and the need to have yes, the yes and attitude, and also to be able to be humble and be able to recognize when something 
hasn't worked, right? And also, I think it's really interesting what you said about, uh, you know, some, a lot of times it's white noise. A lot of times these people, like the, the critics um, may have one position and you have a different one, but instead of taking a positional stance of like, they're here and I'm here, and so therefore anything they say I'm going to ignore, you've been able to take sort of an issues stance, right? And be able to sort of analyze and then be able to receive that really quite important critical feedback. Um, and that served the organization really well. Whereas if you had sort of taken a hard line of like, well, they're these type of people. And so anything they say is just, you know, for their own interests, you may not have been able to use their feedback in the, the effective way that you've been able to. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important, especially as leaders, to not take criticisms personally. And it's really hard sometimes when it's like, when you put in all this effort and like, they don't know how much effort I put into this and they don't know, like we are not doing things the way they think they are. And it's hard to set aside those personal um, reactions, those emotional reactions and just think like, okay, what are they really saying? And let me just think about it in, as an organization, not as Becca. Let, let me just think about it as an, as an organization and like, and what are they really saying and how can that help us? So, mm -hmm. um, and like I said, part of bringing in volunteers is helpful to that because it brings in new perspectives. And as a leader, sometimes you you get in the weeds and you've known how things have worked since the dawn of time and things have always worked this way and why would we change? And having the new perspective from volunteers and also knowing that they're not here to criticize, they're here because they love your organization. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to hear criticism and easier to hear them when they're like, you know, they, they have a point when they say that. Um, so that's, um, that's been really nice. Yeah, and I take it for granted sometimes. I forget that um, in the world we live in, we're not as open and accepting as we are in you know this small community. I mean, how often do you go to a class at a gym and class starts out with everyone in a circle talking about how did they find out about this class? Where are you from? And like everyone laughing at, and like kind of connecting before the class even starts. And then you have class and it's hard and you're like, oh my God, I can't do this one thing and that person over there is getting it but then that person over there comes to you and says look like I you know I was really struggling with this too let me help you you know we don't really have that and I think that people that's why people really latch on and become volunteers because they sense they sense that it's so safe and so welcoming and that's not that's not really something a lot of people feel here it's kind of like you're going to be failing in front of them tons of people and smacking your hula hoop on someone's face and stuff. So we might as well just all get to know each other mm -hmm. and you know, set all of their differences aside and connect on this one little plastic circle. <laughs> well, and that's like, that's like a beautiful way to sort of bring it all full circle. Excuse the pun, right? To come back to <laughs> conversation, right? About your mission and how important it is to provide these opportunities for people um, especially in our day and age. And so it's really, it's really been great to hear your stories about how, you know, starting from the small group of five people who just wanted to get together and 
and have a space together and how it's grown to be this organization that has such great impact um, is super interesting. Yeah, I'll say that, um, I would say collectively, we have nearly 5,000 students that have come through workshop doors. Our Instagram reach um, and Facebook reach and all that it has way surpassed circles that we said. Um, our finances are big enough now that we can fund other people's projects, which is really cool. And it all started with, you know, a few girls just wanting to hang out together in, in, a, in a Mountain Dew factory. <laughs> so it's been really awesome to see how much growth has happened in the past um, four or five years and to see where that might take us, you know, moving forward. Yeah. Super cool. And it sounds like you've got great things coming, coming down the pipeline or as you're building, it's not just coming down, you're building towards some really exciting things. So I'm really excited to see where, where it all goes for you guys. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to chat and sharing those stories. Thank you for, thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you again, Becca, for sharing your passion for movement arts and community building. If you want to see that crazy cool LED birdcage art installation that Becca described, or find out more about how to get involved with Spin Coalition, head to buttmovers.com and check out our episode page. Also there, you can help support the great work that Becca and her team do. Spin Coalition is a registered 501c3 nonprofit in the US, and you can support their work by clicking donate on their website, or selecting the Philadelphia Spin Coalition as your preferred nonprofit on Amazon Smile. Thanks again for joining me on this episode. Share your thoughts and ideas with me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at buttmovers, that's B-U-T movers, or on our website. If you enjoyed this episode and you know someone else who might, why don't you go ahead and send them a message right now? I hope you'll join me again in two weeks on Butt Movers to hear a conversation I have with my former boss and a pretty inspirational education leader, James McDonald. James and I chat about the importance of context in understanding how to lead change, and he shares a pretty great story about bribing children with fast food to get things done. I hope you'll join me then. Until next time, get out there and move those butts. <laughs>